the whole mental stack is literally Benjamin buttoning yourself in life. Because I think everything I'm doing, right, whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, whether it's practicing gratitude, whether it's me taking medication, like any of these things, it is literally teaching me to be appreciative, to be playful, to stop overanalyzing and just calm my mind and do what feels right. I'm just describing Alex as a three-year-old. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is Secret Leaders, the show where we find out what it's really like to be a top entrepreneur. Today, I'm talking to Alex Lieberman, the co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Now, it's been one of my favorite companies to watch from the sidelines. Along with Alex, he's definitely worth a follow on Twitter. Now, Morning Brew started life as a daily business newsletter and sold in late 2020 to Insider Inc. for $75 million. It's that highly unusual thing, and we know how difficult it is, a commercially successful digital media business, especially one centered around a newsletter. Now, they built a cult following and became a bit of a darling in the industry. So I thought that today's chat would be about how they did it. But actually, it was a lot more personal than that. It's about the mental toll that entrepreneurship takes, the hidden pain, panic attacks that have you hyperventilating for about an hour. And it's about how to figure out the best way to spend your time on this earth. It's a conversation that's really struck with me. And I started by asking Alex what he wants to do now that Morning Brew is out of his hands. Over to you, Alex. I committed five years nonstop of my life to the business. And that's actually relatively short for someone building a company. But still, nonetheless, it was five years of effectively only thinking about Morning Brew. I think the the unintended consequence of that is now as I think about committing to anything else, that's kind of like my anchor. That's my reference point, right? And so when I'm like thinking about, do I want to go deep in Web3 and NFTs? Do I want to go deep in learning to play poker and ultimately playing tournament poker? Do I want to go deep in learning how to code so I can build my own products? The issue that I sometimes run into is like, how do I know that I'm enjoying this right now when I have an abundance of options, right? It's like going to a restaurant and having a super long menu. It's actually like the paradox of choice right now. That's a big thing. And the other thing is like, oftentimes we're great as founders and entrepreneurs and thought leaders at giving advice, but taking our own advice is really, really difficult when it's personalized. So it's like, you know, I always say, chasing your passion is bullshit. You should just do something that directionally gives you energy, that leverages your skills, and that the market wants or needs from you, and just spend time doing that. And if you're really good at it and you're seeing validation from the market, you'll start to gain passion for it, right? And like that's always been my ethos. But when I try to take my own advice and just do something and acknowledge that I'm not really passionate about it right now and that's okay, that is a way harder task to do. What do you think the difference is between passion and purpose? Because you've spoken a lot about passion here, but you seem like quite an intentional guy. So, you know, do you, do you spend much time thinking about your purpose? Is it something you're working towards? Is it something to work out later? Have you already found and fulfilled it? Yeah, so I, I have a, a working draft of my purpose. I'm still figuring it out. You know, my purpose was basically twofold, is I want to help entrepreneurship go viral and I want to help mindfulness and presence go viral and meant more so like mental health because I actually think they're so linked. I've experienced entrepreneurship and I just think it is such a beautiful thing 
I think many people who have not experienced it would greatly benefit from experiencing it. And I also just think our world grows, gets smarter, gets healthier, et cetera, when entrepreneurship is thriving and at its best. But I also think when you are building a business, it is an accelerated version of self-discovery. Like I learned so much about myself, more about myself in the five years of building Morning Brew than I ever learned about myself outside of building Morning Brew. And so I think that even loops into the second, which is like while building a business, having the awareness to understand who you are, what you are about, what brings you joy is so important because at the end of the day, like we experience the world, but what determines our enjoyment, our fulfillment is our perception of it. And people, I don't think, spend enough time thinking about how they perceive the world. And so that's kind of my working draft right now. And the way I think about the difference between purpose and passion is I think purpose is your North Star, is like the direction that the boat is pointed. And I think passion is the inertia that drives you towards that North Star. Yeah, it's interesting. So when you say mental health and entrepreneurship, what kind of um, experiences have you had in, in Morning Brew that really tested your experience with those? Yeah, well, I think the first is that my experience with mental health and entrepreneurship is twofold. That like anxiety or panic attacks in your life is anxiety or panic attacks in your business right? Like they're not separated. You're living a life and you're just dividing your time amongst many things, one of which is work, one of which is leisure, hobbies, family, etc. Mm, yeah, there's no work-life balance. Well, there's just life. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring that up is like, I think so many people, I think, suffer and then it impacts them in everything, including their work, and they don't do anything about it. And I think that's just a really, it's a really sad thing right? No one should have to like struggle or suffer with anything they're experiencing. And I also think even more people experience mental health challenges as po at points in their life, even if they are not diagnosed with having a certain mental health disorder. You know, I have been diagnosed with having anxiety, but there are a lot of people that feel anxiety at points in their career who can use a lot of the same tools that I use, but they don't spend time on it because it doesn't feel like, you know, a broken bone that you go to the doctor for. It feels like you're sore from working out. What I would say is like, first of all, I've experienced anxiety throughout the course of running Morning Brew. I can't remember the exact date, but I experienced my first panic attack while running Morning Brew. I want to say it was in middle, early 2018, where I went to sleep one day. I woke up like a minute or two minutes later and I woke up gasping for air. And then I started analyzing my breath, being like, I don't think I'm breathing the right way. And when you start analyzing your breath, that makes you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where you end up breathing incorrectly. And I basically hyperventilated for an hour, like with my mom on the phone, having her on speaker, trying to like, you know, talk me off the ledge. And it was a super scary experience because I had never had a panic attack before and I ended up having panic attacks on and off for the next call it month. And it happened sometimes in work during that period where I would be in a meeting, say there were five of us in a meeting. 
I wouldn't be talking and actually me not talking and just listening to the group. Like I felt this, like the room was caving in on me. It felt overwhelming and I would have to leave the room, right? So like <laughs> experienced it in life, experienced it in work. It's all the same thing. And it was super scary. It absolutely impacted my ability to do work. And so what part of my reflection on entrepreneurship is thinking about just like at times how much less effective I was as a worker because of things like, anxiety, OCD, and panic attacks that I was dealing with while working. You know, one other thing that I really realized about myself while building a business, and I don't think I would have truly come to realize it if it wasn't for building a business, is just like, you know, we all in life to some extent seek validation. One of my goals in life is to get to a place where all I need is like being grateful for myself, practicing internal validation and feeling like I'm a part of a community. And if I have that, I feel like I've, you know, I've hit the jackpot. And something I've realized about myself is like I require far more external validation than honestly I feel good about. And that is everything from validation from the world when something goes well with Morning Brew, validation from my co-founder when uh, we'd be having a conversation or I'd be making a decision. And I think oftentimes that would hold me back from either feeling totally settled or happy because my emotions were dependent on other people. A lot of times people talk about relationship styles, right? There's different attachment styles and relationships. And my style, unfortunately, was very much like having a dependency on the person that's really important to me. So in the context of business, it would be my co-founder where my emotions were super dependent on their emotions. If they were upset with me, I was upset with myself. I hope this just paints like a bit, little bit of a picture of like how much your own psyche and how much your own perception of your experience impacts your ability to be a great leader or founder. Just how vulnerable were you at the time? And the reason I want to ask is because I, when I had similar, very similar to you, chronic anxiety and panic attacks was my, you know, in moment, more prevalent mental health problem in my last business. I wasn't very honest about it at all. In fact, I hit it under the rug for sure. And I was in a meeting with my chairman and other people in the board and I was presenting and I had a panic attack whilst presenting. And I just always remember it. And it was just horrific. And I was sweating profusely and I had to leave the room and I couldn't really come back. I came out right at the end of the meeting and it just took so long to calm down. And, you know, the board meeting room was in the office. And so people kind of saw this and I felt like I needed to explain what was going on. And it was kind of one of the only times it really opened up a, about mental health at work after the fact. And I felt that, you know, my my reality of just being honest and telling people how I, well, I didn't know why I was feeling that way, but that it had happened and all this stuff helped people really connect with me. And, you know, a very different story starting a new business after that experience, understanding the demonstrability of vulnerability and how that impacts you. It's quite often an insight you only find out after the fact. So what were you like during? It's actually really interesting because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this exact point. But I think the, the answer is I didn't communicate directly a lot of what I was feeling, whether it be my anxiety, my OCD, to the team. I would say in like a kind of like an intimate team setting. For whatever reason, I felt far more comfortable sharing like my experiences with anxiety and mental health 
at like a, the larger, less personalized stage, right? So like I felt more comfortable tweeting about it or doing my podcast episodes about it, right? And it's such an interesting thing, right? Like I'm actually <laughs> in a weird way, it's forcing me, someone would think, I think it it's requiring me to be more vulnerable because I'm projecting it to more people. But I actually think in some ways it's less vulnerable because it is a less pronounced experience of sharing something. There's a difference between looking fit eye to eye with someone on your team and saying, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, if I haven't been on top of my game the last few days, I'm really sorry for that. There's no excuse, but I just want to let you know where it's coming from. This has been my experience. I've dealt with chronic panic attacks. I think almost like the seriousness and the gravity of that conversation actually requires you to be more vulnerable than going on Twitter and being like, I had a panic attack yesterday. It sucked. And so it's an interesting thing where while like, while the megaphone is louder, the vulnerability that it takes is actually, I think, less. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. I'm listening to you say this and I'm wondering, recognizing so much of that behavior in myself, if it's two things. One is because on social you can get more volume of validation. Oh, so sorry to hear that. I hope you're okay. Here are some things, you know, like volume of people that care about me and the things that I'm going through. And the second side is, I guess, like almost accountability, which is like it's unlikely that anyone on social media is going to hold you accountable to improve that state or do something next time. Whereas like a good friend or someone you really trust will be like, cool, what are we going to do about it next time? And you're like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's a bit much for me right now. I kind of want to just talk about this in the moment. And I can see that like both sides. It's a great point, right? About 
I think it's just another version of validation seeking. And it even brings up a big question in my head, which is like for the type of brain I have, while I love thinking about content and media, and I think that creating an audience creates so much optionality in your career, is it actually quite literally one of the worst things I could do career-wise as it relates to my mental health for someone who seeks validation? Because like I am forced on a daily basis to create content that inevitably is going to open me up to external validation, but that is not helping me be more driven intrinsically. And I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, it'd be an amazing tool is like build a Chrome plugin that like masks all of your tweets in the sense that when you tweet, it never shows the engagement you get. Like it always says zero likes, zero replies, zero retweets on everything you create. And even if people are engaging, it basically makes all those invisible. So you have to come to terms with yourself that you're only creating content for yourself. That's hilarious. I, I feel like, you know, that might have like a market of about five super um, intrinsically searching people, but hey. Okay, so coming on to then your um, your experience of what's next. So let me share a personal experience of how when I was finishing my last company, starting my new one, I knew that I wanted to do a new business, but I didn't know what it was going to be in. And I actually didn't have anything really obvious that I wanted to do. I went through a process that a friend told me about, which was I already had a co-founder. So like I had the same co-founder. I know we wanted to go again kind of thing. We know we work well together. We have trust, etc. So we sat separately and every single day we had to start the day sitting at our kitchen table Monday to Friday. And we had to write 10 ideas down every single day in the first hour of the day and weren't allowed to stop unless we'd written down 10 ideas. And it didn't matter how bad they were, etc., etc. Anyway, at the end of the week, you both have 50 ideas. And we did this for four weeks. So at the end of four weeks, we had 400 ideas. The point of it, just to go clear, like each week you were supposed to narrow it down. So in the first week, we compared, like, we're like, look, 50% of our ideas are in e-commerce and 50% of our ideas are like broadly in, in media or the environment, right? Oh, sorry, not 50-50, that would be great. But like the majority, right? And then so these edge cases, which are like, you're interested in some shit about finance, I'm not. I'm interested in some shit about here and you're not. Like, let's just ignore those because it's not going to work well together. So every single week you're sort of like narrowing it down and actually you said like, you know, the paradox of choice, that was the biggest challenge. And, you know, I I don't have a personal experience of how you narrow this down necessarily independently. It was quite helpful to have someone else that's like, hey, I'm not at all interested in that thing you're interested in. But that ability to like filter week on week and the way that we got there was like we saw trends. So eventually we were like, well, we're both super interested in mental health. Cool. Oh, look, we're both really interested in neuroscience. Cool. We're both interested in like health and well-being. And it just like, you know, narrows some categories and you start to see how you can build something that like is sort of down the funnel there. So that was like our process that started us leading into this. We still didn't have an idea of what we were going to build, but like actually we knew the space was going to be the brain. And so we started a newsletter, very inspired by Morning Brew, but that's how we started. We like, this is going to be about the brain. No idea what product it'll be, but we'll write about the brain and we'll just build an audience of people that are interested in the science of the brain. And it worked, right? It's a a flow into something to build up some regularity. How are you thinking about like how your daily process at the moment might lead you into a new career? So the thing that stuck with me is this idea of feeling utilized. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Alexis Ohanian tweeted something along the lines of, if you make fuck you money, what will you do tomorrow type of thing? 
And basically what Alexis Ohanian said is I would do the same, exactly what I'm doing right now, which is running 776, my venture fund. And then Scott Belsky, who founded Behance, was acquired by Adobe. He's the chief product officer of Adobe. He said he'd be doing what he's doing now because he feels fully utilized. And he's found that the correlation of utilization and happiness is very positive and close to one. And that stuck with me. And so basically what I'm trying to answer for myself is what makes me feel utilized. It looks different for everyone uh, in general. Like I think there are different ways of thinking and being and everyone needs some different like patchwork of those different types of thinking and being to feel utilized, right? So I think you have divergent thinking, which is being creative, thinking of many ideas. Then you have convergent thinking, which is linear thinking, analytical thinking, et cetera. You have building, you have reflecting. And what I've realized for myself is I spent a fair bit of time over the last few months reading. Like I've spent a fair bit of time reading. What I've been reading has generally been in like three buckets. It's been still like business related stuff uh, that helps me stay informed and smart about entrepreneurship broadly. I've been reading a lot about like psychology, Buddhism, and like purpose related things. And I've been reading a lot about like Web3 and NFTs. And what I realized in doing kind of like these deep dives is it left me with a few feelings and questions. One question I had for myself is like, do I feel most utilized going like six inches deep in these three things versus going 24 inches deep in one of these topics? The second thing I felt is like, I really love reading about this stuff. Like it sounds crazy, but like I'm reading the DSM right now. And for people that don't know, like the DSM is like the academic, it's the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. It's literally the book that you need to study to go into social work or psychology. Like I'm reading that for fun now and I really love it. But what I've realized about myself is what do I need to feel utilized? There's some big proportion that is around consuming information around topics that really interest me. There's one big portion that is around feeling creative and innovative. And I think that's why I love the early days of Morning Brew so much. And then there's one piece of me that really looks for the opportunity to build, like actually like having a puzzle, figuring it out and having it going back to external validation, validated by the world. Right now, I feel like I have a lot of the first bucket of consumption. I have a fair bit of the second bucket of being creative. And honestly, I do that through like constantly thinking of business ideas, sharing them, working through them. Also just like on new businesses at Morning Brew, like that's where I can be creative also. Like we launched commerce. I'm thinking about products we can launch. And also just with my podcast as a creator, that allows me to be creative. But that third bucket of building, of figuring out the puzzle, of taking raw materials and putting them together, I'm not experiencing that right now. And I think like kind of one of the recent breakthroughs I've had is to feel fully utilized. I need some aspect of that. And I don't know what that is. And I think until I figure that out, I won't feel fully utilized.
So you've done like the the discovery work to figure out, you know, what is the mix that you need to feel whole again? How do you go through the process then in this third stage? Like, are you setting yourself? Can I? So let's some personal questions. Like, how old are you? Are you married? Like, you know, kids, family, all this shit. Like, give us some context. I'm 28, not married, have a girlfriend, living in Hoboken, New Jersey, and no kids. Uh, have a dog. And, you know, if I'm being totally honest with the sale of Morning Brew, you know, money isn't a concern anymore. And the reason I say that is I think so much of actually my motivation in building my first business was commitment to family and fear of not having enough money. But that's like kind of the X factor here is whatever I build next or whatever it can't be driven by those things because those things have been satisfied. And I think fear of not having enough money is an incredibly strong driver, but like I need to find a new motivator, right? And then this is actually why I've talked so much about like intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic is like, I think the motivator for me, it has to come from my core. It can't be something else anymore. It's interesting. I was just like looking through, um, you know, relevant to this as well. I did a a tweet out yesterday asking, you know, who had some questions for you, etc. And I was just trying to see, you know, where there was a good crossover from an audience question into um, this specific area. And actually, bang on, uh, on target was why, why do you think it's important for founders and CEOs to have a mental health stack? And what do you really mean by mental health stack? For me, it's like, why are we doing Why are we efforting so hard in life? Why are we working? Why are we making money? It's so that we can have the freedom of time. But then once we have the freedom of time, it's like the goal is spend your time in a way where you feel happy uh, and where you can help other people. And to me, the only way, once you have the freedom of time, and even when you don't have the freedom of time, to find happiness and to be in the the mental position to help other people, you need to be constantly nurturing and taking care of of your mind. I think the issue is, is like, if we were all still like children, this wouldn't be an issue. Like, I think all of us are just trying to become children again. And I think we're children and so much, the world puts so much context into us, like things to be critical of, things to doubt, things to look for validation of. We don't look for any of that when we're children. And so to me, like the whole mental stack is literally like Benjamin buttoning yourself in life because I think everything I'm doing, right? Like whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, whether it's practicing gratitude, whether it's me taking medication, like any of these things, it is literally teaching me to be, to be appreciative, to be playful, to stop overanalyzing and just calm my mind and do what feels right. I'm just describing Alex as a three-year-old. Let's talk about the habits then. So what kind of habits have you um, learned to instill into your daily life? And and how important do you think that is, especially as someone in transition? It's super important. uh, And I would argue that I actually, I still need to improve it. I think the best way to reconcile the discomfort of having no structure and abundance of time is actually structuring the things that I can control. I can control when I wake up. I can control when I work out. I can control when I have my coffee. I can control when I take my dog to the park. And I think like I actually need to work on being more routinized with those things because I think it'll it'll create 
a sense of of regularity, a sense of habit that I think will help me in all this this abundance of open time. So that's where I think I can improve. What I think I'm doing well is I'm dedicating a lot of time to practicing mindfulness, like every pretty much every day, spending some time meditating. I was super skeptical about meditating when I first started it because, you know, we're creatures that need immediate validation or immediate feeling of change. We're we're short-term beings. We're not long-term thinkers. And so when I first did a meditation, I was like, I don't feel shit. What am I doing? Like that was just a waste of 10 minutes. And I think I missed the whole point, right? Which is that, am I going to feel so different? Maybe, maybe not, but it's more that like I gave 10 minutes to myself where nothing else in the world mattered, where I, it's all about not what I was doing, but what I wasn't doing, right? Like I wasn't scrolling through Twitter. I wasn't doing any of the bad habits I do. I was just being with myself for 10 minutes. And I think in a world of so much distraction, we've become really bad at being with ourselves. We're really uncomfortable with it. For me, that's what meditation has done is become comfortable being with myself. You know, I'm work I work out pretty much every day. I eat generally well. And like I've always talked about, that's my trifecta is diet, exercise, and sleep. And I generally get more than seven hours. I've never been someone who can function on four or five hours. It's just impossible for me. I get super foggy in my brain after two days of that. And then the final thing that I've started doing which I never did before, is practicing gratitude. Again, gratitude was one of those things where initially when I was skeptical, I was like, this is bullshit. I'm writing down gratitudes. But then I think it's done two things for me. All these things I think take me out of my head and just make me like realize, wow, I am so lucky. Like I'm so lucky and so fortunate and I can't forget that. But also I think for me, even though I'm someone who's had some level of success with a business, I actually think that I lack self-belief and self-confidence at times. I think there's a few things I have a lot of confidence about, like my ability to be creative, my ability to, to speak publicly, to articulate, my ability to lead people. But I think I lack a lot of confidence in anything else. And so for me, I think gratitude has also helped me just like build self-confidence in myself. And I think it's helped me to reiterate kind of again, this intrinsic motivation and truly love myself for what I am. To some people, this will sound like kind of like cliche or like self-helpy. But at the end of the day, it's just like, all I want is I want to feel settled with who I am. I want to feel good about what I'm spending my time on, who I'm spending my time with. And I want to wake up happy and go to sleep happy. And at this point, I kind of don't care how like ridiculous something feels. If I can achieve that, I'm going to do it. Just so you know, like the audience here will be totally uh, au fait with gratitude because it's something that I speak about all the time. Um, it's one of the biggest drivers of change in my life. If you've ever read anything on positive psychology by Martin Seligman, you, you'll really, really like it. He's one of the founding fathers of positive psychology or modern psychology. You know, the art of three things, right? The art of three things before you go to sleep that went well today, like that simplicity of gratitude. I once went to a lecture that he did in London and he was talking about the over the years of the research that they've done in gratitude, the most important 
insight they had from gratitude practice. And I've done um, like gratitude practice of three things like every day now for four years. It was actually, <laughs> I enrolled in his course, the University of Pennsylvania online before starting Heights because I, I just thought this was just going to be a gratitude business originally because I was just so into it. The reality is the impact isn't made on the being thankful for the great day you've had, right? So if you've had a good day, um, it almost becomes table stakes and it is good to do the gratitude practice then, but actually where it's so impactful is when you've had a bad day and everything's gone wrong and you actually find it's really difficult to think about anything that went well. And then you start to get to basic level gratitude, which is I live in London, first world country. I had hot running water through my taps and my showers. Some people don't have that. You know, you start off a little bit sarcastic with this stuff to yourself, but actually you have these moments where you're like, wow, actually that's quite powerful. And you forget all the things you take for granted. Okay, let's talk a little bit, uh, you know, having to come towards the end, sadly, but I saw you share once about a life map. What is a life map? Yeah, so, you know, where the idea of a life map came from is actually came from how we run our business at Morning Brew. To give you context, Morning Brew, like any, like any startup, I would say there's this natural move as you grow from being super flat in terms of hierarchy, super unstructured, super young, all of the, the, the makings of just like an immature business. You have kind of like your come to Jesus moment where you're like, okay, we're a real business. We need to age up. We need to level up. We need to structure. You know, we, we weren't sure how to do that. What ended up happening was one of Morning Brew's early investors uh, recommended a book that we read that is was basically an operating system for running your business. Um, and if anyone's ever heard of OKRs, it's like it's similar to OKRs. The book is called Traction. It's by Gino Wickman. And what Traction lays out is a system for running your business called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And the premise of the entrepreneurial operating system is it starts super macro and then gets super micro, right? So it starts at the highest level of your vision and then your values and then has you assess your people. Are your people in the, uh, do you have the right people in the right seats? And then it takes you to more tangible once you know your missions, your values, and you understand who your people are, which is what is your 10-year goal? What is your three-year goal? What is your one-year goal? And then to bring it to like, okay, that's great. That's long-term planning now, which we've never done. It's great. We have long-term plans, but how do long-term plans map to what we do in our business today and this week? The most micro or short-term kind of mechanism within the EOS system is something called rocks, which are 90-day goals. Uh, a business will typically have three to seven 90-day goals. They have to be specific, ambitious, and measurable. And those rocks are the only focus of your business for 90 days. And then typically what happens is you start with your company's rocks and then you have your senior leaders who have rocks themselves within their organizations and everything ladders up to your 90-day goals for the business and your 90-day goals for the business should ladder up to your one-year goal. I was thinking to myself one day, I was like, this is such a good structured way for having your North Star, having the ship, making sure your your ship is pointed at the North Star and that all the people who are rowing on the ship know exactly what their job is and how they're supposed to be rowing to the North Star. Why is this just a business thing? 
I was like, why is this just a business thing? Like we all are trying to figure out where we want to go in life. We're trying to have a level of focus that we know maps our longer term goal goals. Like why not implement the EOS process for life? And so that's what life map effectively became was like, why can't we adapt this? Where like, I have my vision for myself. I have my 10 year goal for where I want to be. Right. So the example, let's say we took my purpose, which was make entrepreneurship go viral and make mental health go viral. If that was like my mission, my 10 year goal would be something like directly facilitate the creation of a hundred thousand businesses. If mental health is like build an audience of a million people who commit to a daily mental health practice. That's my 10 year goal. And then I would work down from there. Right. And it'd be a little bit different where I would have, wouldn't necessarily have my senior leadership team or uh, things like that, but I could build out the same process. And so that's what life map is, is adapting this operating system for companies to become an operating system for life. I love it. It's reminds me, it's funny, like better by the way, but my wife and I did marriage OKRs. Oh, really? Yeah, specifically. I mean, she works for uh, Vice. She's the head of operations for Europe. So she had to like implement OKRs for the whole business and loves them. And we were having problems in our marriage a year in, but I mean, during lockdown, right? So we were like, and we were in Portugal for a month and we were like bickering. And I was like, listen, this is kind of dumb. We're only like being married for a year. Let's talk about the future. Let's think about a system we can do this in. I'm like the woo-woo guy. So I'm like, you know, like what's the spiritual way that I want to live? She's the pra like practical one. So we came to this idea of like, like actually setting up marriage OKRs and we did a whole system for them. And like, funny enough, I tweeted about it and um, very randomly, the whatmatters.org, which is the company that basically owns OKRs yeah, yeah, yeah. with John Doerr, like they saw it and they got us to like write an article for it. Now <laughs> We've done like literally a session with John Doerr on our marriage OKRs. He like freaking loves that them. So he funny. like tweeted, it was so random. My wife was so happy. She's got like a bunch of baby books and also just like measure what matters. <laughs> that is awesome. It's one of those funny things where you just get into this random niche, but they were like, no one's ever done that actually. Like no one's done proper like relationship OKRs. And wait, is this a picture of you on their website that I'm looking at? Maybe. <laughs> is, it, is it you and your wife yeah. uh, in front of like an old school blue car? Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. That's from our wedding day. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is awesome. But it was one of those things where, like, we just did it for ourselves. But then we, I like to open source everything that I do. So write long articles and then open source all the docs. So in there is the whole OKR process, the spreadsheet. Copy paste it. Go through exactly the same thing. We broke it down to, we broke it down to spiritual needs, financial needs, um, you know, sexual needs. Like you break it down, like like logically, like you would with any OKR system. But it's funny that you've done it with rocks, and I also love traction, by the way. But it's funny you've done it with rocks, and I've basically done a version of it with OKRs. Yeah, honestly, so much of it for me is like again, as someone who has like a pretty, my natural mind is a is a divergent mind. It's like, what are like convergent practices that I can apply to make life less overwhelming? That's how I think about it. Okay. I'm noticing the time. I'm noticing that we have to wrap up. Let me do a couple of quick questions with you. Who, who are the three people that you really like most aspire to at the moment? Like who are the people you're looking up to thinking, I want to live a life like you? I would say my dad, who I just never saw more commitment to family than him. I would say this is going to be controversial, but uh, I'll provide nuance, which is Elon Musk. And the reason I say Elon is because I fundamentally believe he doesn't care 
what other people think. I think he truly cares about a higher purpose beyond himself. And so to me, what I actually, the reason I look to him for a specific part is I strive to have the self-belief and intrinsic motivation that I believe he has. And then the third would be someone like a, a Jay Shetty, just someone who, who truly has spent, you know, it's probably someone I don't know, uh, who's, who's living in, in a monastery right now, but who has truly learned to be present, like truly present in their life. So I can't, I can't think of like, because honestly, the person who's probably learned to be truly present in their life is someone I can't find on social media. Oh, 100%. Like, I've had this conversation directly with Jay Shetty, and he is not a fellow Londoner and stuff, so actually uh, know each other from before. He was making wisdom go viral and, like, you know, chatted a lot since, including on this podcast. And he would be the first to admit that he's not there. That's not possible to be a social media star and doing that. Yeah, totally. So I would say those are the three people. What is the most self-limiting belief that you currently still hold about yourself? That I am incapable of not procrastinating and that like procrastination and not being a focused worker holds me back from being my best self. Love it. Okay. Final question. What's the best piece of advice you have for our fellow entrepreneurs that are listening into this episode, thinking about how to live a great life really as a founder, as someone working in a business? My answer would be document everything. And the reason I say that is I have learned through my own experiences that our memory is imperfect. You know, I'll give you the example, which is my dad passed away when I was a junior in college, a week before junior year in college. He died suddenly from a stroke. He was in the same shape as me, no pre-existing conditions or anything. And what I've realized about that and sometimes what I feel guilt about is that it's actually hard to remember our experiences together right? Like we were as close as a a father and son could be. Yet when I try to picture in my brain specific experiences or his voice, I actually find it quite difficult. Now at this point, not nine years since then, eight years since then. And so what it always makes me realize is like the best way to re-experience memories is through documentation of memories. The thing that like I wish we had done throughout the course of Morning Brew is documenting everything like documenting when we had oh shit moments, documenting small wins, documenting just like random funny stories in the office, things that Austin and I laughed about, things that we fought about, because there'd be nothing better than to just revisit those experiences and relive them. Love it. Now that's a perfect one for all the YouTubers out there. But for those that aren't, get a camera out, get your microphone out and start documenting. Thanks so much for your time, dude. Thank you so much for having me. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and I was the host of this episode. Editing was done by Lower Street Media with Will Stolomon, our head of podcast, Bring It All Together.